Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So here we are in the ninth part of a 10-part study, a sermon series called Me, Myself, and Why. And why? Because we're trying to grow in our capacity to love one another. This is the supreme commandment, right? You are to love as I have loved you. Love one another as I've loved you. This, this one commandment I give you, a new one, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. We recognize that even Jesus lived into and taught the greatest commandment, that the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength. But we recognize and have been for these last nine weeks that really love can just be lip service. We can just talk about it or we can actually put into practice what it looks like to literally, sacrificially, unconditionally love our neighbor. And if we're going to do that, we've acknowledged along the way that love requires a kind of humility where we lay down our ego, lay down our assumptions, and we seek to understand something about the ones we're trying to love. Why do these people have this particular opinion in life? Why does this group of people or that person hold the convictions that she or he holds? Why is it that these people seem to be wired in such a way as to react to the world so differently than me? Well, seeking to understand where we're coming from enables us to be better lovers of one another and then ultimately lovers of God. And that's what we're doing here in this series. And we're using the help of an ancient tool called the Enneagram. And we've been studying these past several weeks that the Enneagram is an ancient tool that basically says there are like nine ways to view and do life, nine perspectives or personality archetypes that kind of help us orient our way into life. And although all nine of these are in all of us, one seems to emerge as kind of a dominant way to kind of exist and operate in the world. And if we can understand what it is that makes me do the things I do, I might have a little bit more grace for the ones who I'm trying to love, who do some things that I don't understand. So we said that the Enneagram, while it has nine types, is really grouped into three groups of three, right? We've said that there are people who are heart people, who feel their way through life, and they're, they're driven by this kind of this conscious drive to project an image of some sort. They're, they're motivated by a kind of shame that makes them project a variety of images, and we spent three weeks talking about that. Then we moved into the head triad, and we talked about head people, those who try to think their way through life as a way to manage a certain kind of fear that they carry around with them at all times. Three different kinds of ways they manage fear, but they think their way through it. And last week, we moved into the last 
triad or the gut triad, or you could call it the body triad, these are the folks among us who try to do their way through life. They function, they take action through life in three different ways, and, and part of what motivates them is they, they function in a way where they trust their instinct so that they manage a kind of anger that, that lies just beneath the surface so much so that maybe it's not even recognized or confessed, but it's an anger that drives some of their own peculiar behaviors. And today it's exciting because we're in the heart of the, of the gut triad. We're in the very middle, and we're studying nines. And nines are they among us who are referred to in the Enneagram world as the peacemakers. I love peacemakers, right? I mean, peacemakers are pretty much even-killed, easy-tempered, easygoing. They, they are lovable. They are those who, who uh, are comfortable being around crowds. They're comfortable in, in conversation. They put everyone at ease. But here's what's interesting about peacemakers. Peacemakers have this uncanny ability to see all sides of a thing an argument, a conflict, some kind of a crisis, whatever the thing is, if there are two or more perspectives involved, the peacemaker has this un, uncanny ability to see both sides of a thing. They're situated literally at the top of the Enneagram. If you take a peek again at the picture, they're at the very top, or the, what some have called the, the crown of the Enneagram, which means they literally can sense what it's like to be all of the numbers. They, they understand and can see the perspectives of all the other eight numbers. In, in some ways, it's, this is why sometimes for nines, it's hard for them to realize that they are a nine because for many who enter the, the journey of trying to understand themselves, they begin to think they may be other numbers because they literally actually can feel what it's like to be a one and this drive for perfection. At times they can understand the, the generosity and the giving nature of a two. At times they feel this drive of a three to achieve and succeed. They know the envy of a four. They know what it's like sometimes to want to be unique and stand out. And for fives, the nines are able to understand where the fives are coming from because they too can be intellectual. They can be in their mind. They can also understand the loyalty of a six or the sense of adventure of, a, of the enthusiast, uh, the seven. And they certainly, at times, if they can muster it, they have the capacity to take a stand and to be the boss and to lead the way. So nines, at times, can have a hard time recognizing they're a nine because they kind of feel like all of them. It's kind of a superpower, really. Uh, some, of the, some of the famous nines who you may recognize, one of them is Mr. Rogers. Think of Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers has this ability or had this ability to see the beautiful in everyone and enable them to begin seeing the beautiful in themselves. He, he's able to see through other people's eyes, right? Or if you're a fan, you may not be, you either love or hate this show, but if you're a fan of The Office, Jim Halpert is a nine. I mean, they're constantly trying to kind of avoid the conflict. He kind of disappears a little bit. He's able to see all sides of a situation, but Clearly, one of the best examples, at least in American history, of a peacemaker would be President Abraham Lincoln. And maybe the, the quintessential example is Abraham Lincoln because he literally led the way to unify or get, at least begin the process of unifying a divided nation. Nowhere is it clearer than in his second inaugural address where he's talking about 
the, the north and the south, states in both the north and the south who, who had both strengths and weaknesses, who worshiped the same God, who attempt to understand life from different perspectives. But this is what he says. He says there, or he said in his second inaugural uh, uh, speech, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God. And each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing the bread, their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. With malice toward none and charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Can you, can you sense the peacemaking? Uh, ethos of Abraham Lincoln. Can you sense this desire to see the good in both and find a way to reconcile the differences? Man, if there were ever a time when the world could use the peacemakers, it's now. Now, if, if ever there was a time, now is the time for peacemakers to emerge, to show up, to be present. This is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, spoke of peacemakers, and here's how he described them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. See, nines, I want you to understand that that part of you that has the capacity to see both sides of the Thanksgiving table when everyone's arguing about what's on TV, that's part of the image of God in you. It's a strength. It's like a superpower, really. But like we said along the way, every one of us, the very thing that makes us strong is the thing that is our trap. And for nines, your ability to, um, well, to see all sides and to bring peace is not always emerging out of this kind of um, pure, unadulterated kind of altruism. You just want everybody to get along. Sometimes it emerges out of this hidden desire to avoid conflict. I mean, it's not just that peacemakers want everyone to get along and for the world to be reconciled, but sometimes if they are honest with themselves, the kryptonite to their superpower is this. They, they just want to avoid conflict. The, every Enneagram number, we've said, has a certain sin or a passion attributed to it. And for nines, the sin or passion attributed to the nine, the peacemaker, is sloth. Now, sloth, when you hear that word, you may immediately think of laziness, but that's not at all what we're talking about. Nines can, can be the most driven, successful, accomplished people among us, but in Enneagram language, to think of sloth, it's better to think of it this way. Nines are they who want to avoid being affected by life. They want to avoid being impacted by the conflict and anxiety and the tension of life around them because nines know whether they can articulate it or not. They know they have a limited reserve of energy and they don't want to spend their energy on the things that they believe don't matter. And sometimes nines 
will check out. Sometimes nines will kind of, as Suzanne Stabile refers to it, sometimes they will self-erase. What does it mean to self-erase? Do you know someone who, who erases themselves from the moment, from the picture, they just kind of check out? Well, it means in order to avoid conflict, you know what nines will do? Nines will either disappear or they'll merge. They'll disappear. Conflict emerges and, and they, they want to deal with it. They're peacemakers, but sometimes they just want to step back. They'll go to their rooms. They'll take a nap. They'll go to their space. They'll take a trip. They'll somehow check out mentally or emotionally as a way to deal with the presence of conflict. Or they'll merge. They'll merge their opinions with the opinions of others who are in the room or their energy with whatever the energy is in the room. They'll merge with it because it's a path of least resistance and they're able to get along. So sometimes they'll go along in order to get along. Do you know anybody in your life who at times will kind of just check out or at times will merge their opinion in order to avoid the fight? Well, the problem is that part of that is endearing. Part of that is a super strength. They're able to bring others who are warring together. But, but the, the downside is this. In relationships, all of our relationships require um, showing up. True, intimate relationships with one another require being present, showing up. So I want you to think for just a moment because this journey is about trying to learn to love the others in our lives more deeply. Do you know a nine? Do you know someone who has this uncanny ability to see both sides of a thing, but you really don't actually know where they stand on something? Well, in the Bible, there is one person, there are many nines, but there are one, there's one person who kind of emerges and demonstrates kind of a, a real nineness if you pay attention to his story. It's Abraham. And Abraham's story begins to unfold in Genesis chapter 12. Listen to the first three verses of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, which is what Abraham's name was before, said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and you, Abram, will be uh, you, uh, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You're in a unique spot, Abram. You're in a spot that is able to be a blessing to all of those families in the earth. Do you know that Abram is really known in many, many ways as the father of the three great monotheistic religions in the world? both Christians and Jews, as well as uh, those who are uh, in Islam. So Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all can trace their story back to Abraham, Father Abraham. And yet if you pay attention to the way his story unfolds throughout Genesis, you'll see all kinds of nine energy emerging. First place is when one day he takes this trip to Egypt with his wife, Sarai. Abram and Sarai go to Egypt, and Abram is concerned that when they get to Egypt, Pharaoh is going to take his wife and, and kill him. And, 
So he says, let's do this. Let's avoid that. You just tell them that you're my uh, sister, right? Which says two things. One is they're from Alabama. And two, they, no, it says that they were trying to avoid a conflict that was coming. Uh, and, and nines can do that. You, you really can. Sometimes you, you can avoid conflict, and, and in avoiding it, you actually can create a problem worse than the original problem. So Abram tells them, this is my sister, and yet Pharaoh takes her anyway, and then God sends a plague upon Pharaoh's house, and, and it's a big mess, and God has to clean it up, and, and they're on their way. But nines, I want you to know that sometimes not staying the course, not standing up and being present, and owning your conviction can at times cause worse problems than not. Another time in the life of Abram where you see this kind of uh, peacemaker energy begin to emerge, he has this nephew named Lot. And Lot and, and Abram share these flocks and these herds, and they're growing. The numbers are just growing out of control, and it's a fantastic problem to have. But they're running out of, of pasture to, to, for their flocks and their herds. So they decide to divide up what they have. But instead of dividing it up equitably or standing up to speak forth his own desires, he says to Lot, you take the choicest ones. And allows Lot to take the very best of all the flock, which, by the way, nines, this is why at times you can be confused with twos and twos can be confused with nines because both nines and twos at times will negate or ignore their own desires, their needs, their sufferings in order to focus on the other around you for different motives. I mean, twos do it in order to, to prove that they're indispensable, that you really need me, trust me. Nines, on the other hand, do it to, to prove, listen, uh, I'm really okay, I'm good, and they'll merge so as to avoid the conflict at present. See, this is nine energy emerging in Abram. Another example, which may be a great example, so he and his wife, Sarai, they can't have children. And, and yet God has promised that they will have children. They'll have so many children, it'll be like the, the countless stars in the sky and the grains of sand on all the beaches of the, of the earth, but, but it hasn't happened, and now they're growing old. And so Sarai, the wife, comes to Abram and says, take my handmaiden, Hagar, and then have a child with her. And so he does. Instead of saying, no, this is not the plan, no, this is actually a better pathway, let's just stay the course, he merges with her idea. And when the baby is born, then Sarai is filled with bitterness and anxiety. She sees Hagar and the new child, and she's filled with bitterness and anger about it and says to Abram, you know what, I'm done. I am done with this. Um, send them away. Cast them away so we don't have to deal with them anymore. And you know what Abram says to her, it's a very nine comment to say these words. Uh, your slave is in your hands, right? Abram said, do with her whatever you think is best, right? So in other words, there's, there's a point at which Abram comes to this tense moment and, and disappears. He merges and then disappears. You see how the superpower of a nine can also be the kryptonite. There's another moment when God looks down upon these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the, the cities are filled with wickedness, violence, uh, injustice, and God decides to destroy the city. And then Abram, in his peacemaking, advocates on behalf of the cities. 
and says to God, hang on, God, and he stands literally between humanity and divinity as a peacemaker and says to God, but what if, what if we find 50 people who are righteous? Would you spare the city? Sure, I will, God says. All right, well, how about 45? If I can find 45, would you, would you spare the city? Yep, sure will. How about 40? Yep, 30? Yeah, uh, 20. I'll do it, sure. All the way down to 10, Abram says, if I can just find 10 people, would you be willing to spare the city? And God said, yes, I will. And, and, and you know the end result. He couldn't find 10 righteous people, and so God destroys the city. But there's this poignant moment in which I want you to brand in your mind this image of this nine standing between earth and heaven, standing between humanity and divinity, actually attempting to help God see the other side. So nines, what I want you to understand about yourself and how you're wired is that your capacity to see all sides is a part of the divine DNA that is in you. It's part of the image of God that is in you. And with that comes both strength and difficulty. But see, that, that is not something that happens overnight. You learn this as you grow. And I want you to ask yourself, do you know someone in your life who exhibits that kind of energy, the capacity to make peace, but at the same time self-erase? Because we don't come there overnight. We, all of us come to where we are with, with these wounding messages. We just do. We carry them around in us. And for the nine, a nine has this wounding message that lies just beneath the surface. And it sounds like this. It's not okay to assert yourself. Now, where did they pick that message up and how and from whom? Don't know. Doesn't matter. But if a nine is truly a nine, they understand what it means to, to feel as if it's not right and not okay to assert themselves in the moment, in the room, in the space, in the relationship. Because at some level, if I assert myself too forcefully, I may be cut off. I may be distanced. I may be rejected. But the truth is, in Jesus Christ, there is a healing message that counteracts every wounding message that any of us may carry. And in Christ, that overarching healing message for all humankind is that we are loved and redeemed and worthy of God's own sacrifice, right? But for each of us, we have a particular way that we need to hear the healing message of Christ. And for nines, the healing message is this. Your presence matters. Not just to God, but to the rest of us nines, your presence matters. Showing up, being present, sharing your insight, perspective, your energy in the world is needed by the world. And not only that, I want to take it a step deeper. The fact is, I believe and I've said to you for ages now that, that every one of us has a unique experience with the divine. Every one of us. And that experience may be positive or negative. It may be filled with joy and gratitude and beauty and contentment, or that experience may be filled with heartache and woundedness and pain and doubt and struggle. But regardless, your experience with the divine is singularly unique to you. No other mortal on the planet has encountered Christ or the divine just the way you have. So if you self-erase, if you merge if you don't actually literally show up, then a part of God's own beautiful image 
is unseen by the rest of us. We need you to be present and to show up. And right now, I want uh, at least three of my favorite nines to show up for a conversation. I want them to to check me and see if what I'm saying has any merit in their own experience. I want you to welcome uh, Nathan King and Leslie Morgan and Annie Westbrook to the stage. All right. And I'll pause for just a minute to let everybody at home in their living rooms uh, erupt in tumultuous applause for each one of you because we really are grateful that you would be here and grateful for your presence, not just in general, but right here, right now to show up. So I love each one of you and I've got some questions that I want to ask you so that maybe we can get inside your world a little bit and understand what it's like to be a nine. So the first one, Kind of an easy one. The first one is when you think about your personal journey, and I know that each one of you has, has taken a deep dive into understanding the Enneagram and your position in life and your own hidden patterns. As you think about your nineness and your journey, what is it that you're learning lately about yourself and your patterns? Uh, so just to start, um, I think that lately, especially in the wake of uh, this uh, quarantine sort of thing, mm. it's been kind of a good and bad thing. Um, just, I want to say for all nines in, all nines in general, um, just because while it is a good thing for us to be able to step back and recoup and get some rest and everything, um, not only me- mentally or physically, but mentally, um, Obviously, that can lead to a slippery slope, and uh, and it gets to a point where it's just constant slothfulness and constant just not wanting to do anything. I I find myself all the time avoiding homework and avoiding um, avoiding doing tasks and everything. I'm just always. You told me well. You yeah. told me the other day because because now like a lot of universities, um, they're finished for the semester in terms of on campus, but you still have to do all your work. And Nathan's like. Um, this is actually the worst part of school. Doing the work, but no socialization, none of the other part, right? Right, so um, it just, it takes all the energy out of me, and I'm yeah. always just too, okay. too exhausted, I right. think, so. I have found through learning about my nineness in the Enneagram, um, I'm understanding myself better hmm. instead of, beating myself up for the negative, the negative aspects of being a nine, like um, procrastination. I, I was known for that at four years old. Okay. And, um, and it's always looked upon to be so negative. And in reading about being a nine, I, I just see that I don't procrastinate on everything. Hmm. I procrastinate the things that are going to possibly bring about a negative return and so I'm having to consciously uh, put that thing maybe more toward the top of my to-do list Mm -hmm. and force myself to attack those things um, instead of just thinking it's okay Mm -hmm. to procrastinate because that's who I am okay because you're becoming more awake to that tendency that gives you the 
the, it empowers you to prioritize it more. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Good. Good. Annie? Yeah, um, I definitely resonate with both of those things. Um, but what I've been learning the most, so I first learned about the Enneagram when I was about Nathan's age. So I've been studying it for a while. And when I first heard of it, I was, it was undeniable that I was a nine. And it talks about books and different things talk about when you were a child, you felt blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my gosh, how do these strangers know my life, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing that I've always struggled with is the idea of merging. <laughs> because I, for a long time, I never really heard it described the right way. And in my mind, it uh, merging seemed like codependency where I am a very independent person and always have been. And so I've never really felt like that was true for me. Okay. But in the past couple of months, it's like finally sunk in what that merging really is. Okay. And uh, an example that I've been thinking about lately is the movie uh, Runaway Bride hmm. with Julia Roberts mm -hmm. and Richard Gere. Great movie. And um, she has a tendency with every person that she dates, she's still herself, she still has the same personality, but her interests and her likes and what she wants is different depending on who she's with. Mm. So every person, so every man that she's with, she likes to eat her eggs a different way. And she has different hobbies and whatever it is. And that is when I really started making that connection is when it really sunk in with me because it's not until she's really pushed and asked, like, this is not you, what do you want? Or it's not until it's at that moment of truth of where she's about to walk down the aisle to marry a man that she doesn't actually love that she realizes, like, no, this isn't it. And she, she has to change. And so, um, so that is, I've really been thinking about that a lot lately and about, about kind of putting off what I want or even just um, just ignoring what I want to do. So a small, I'm, I feel like I'm talking a long time, but a small example would it's okay, be, <laughs> thank you. It matters, okay. Thank you. Um, would be uh, like if I'm going home to North Carolina to visit my family and I really want to go hike on, on Roan Mountain when we're together all day as a family. And instead, my brothers say, well, instead of going to the mountain, let's go to Linville Falls. And I think, well, I really wanted to go to Roan Mountain, but that's fine. The falls are my favorite place. We'll just go there. And by the end of the day, we've had a great day. What I really wanted was accomplished. I wanted a day outside with my family, having a nice time, connecting with each other. Hmm. And that was done. And at the, by the end of the day, my brother Matt usually says something like, oh, I'm sorry that we didn't get to do what you wanted. I know you really wanted to go to the mountain, but I hope you had a nice time. And my response is usually something like, oh, no, it's fine. It doesn't matter. We had a great day. I love, I love the falls. You know, we did exactly what I wanted. So by the end of the day, whatever I wanted, I forgot about. And we just did whatever mm. everyone else wanted. Okay. Um, and part of that is the good side of it, of what really matters is being together as a family, and that was accomplished. 
but it also goes with the conflict of, well, if I would have just pushed a little bit harder, would we have gotten in a fight over whether or not right. to go to the falls or the mountain? No. Okay. But I just forgot myself and just merged with whatever yourself. everyone okay. else wanted. Okay. That's a great example. Um, all right. So what about uh, maybe some misconceptions that we have? What's a misunderstanding that people in your life have about you in your nineness that they just don't understand that it, it would benefit them to know this? Oh, I've got that one. Yeah? I've got that one. Uh, the people I work with closely, I, I have finally learned how to express this, that um, we're not without opinion. Mm -hmm. We have strong opinions. Okay. We feel stronger that peace is important. Um, we are intelligent. We are thinking while you are talking because you talk too much and we think a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, or we, I assume we, but I take more time to make a decision and that's, that's because I want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I don't know what I should do. I want to weigh all of the possibilities. And so in workplace and at home, I think it's important that people understand that about me so that mm -hmm. they don't just discount me. Oh, well, she must not care. I, I care quite deeply. Okay. So I, I have recently learned at least how to tell the people in my workplace that. How to express it. That's yes. Good. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, so similar. Um, I, there's, there's a very, very big um, misconception, and it's not entirely false, but the fact that um, nines are so slothful that they, all they want to do is go and nap, and all they want to do is, you know, not be uh, present in the room, or they always just want to retreat and go and do their own thing. Which, in a way, is true because, I mean, obviously our energy tank is, um, it, there's a limited amount of uh, energy in our reserve. But I feel like while there is a, um, a physical component to it, uh, a lot of the time, for me especially, I don't know if this is the case for a lot of nines, but it's, um, it happens to fall more mentally and... Um, and the retreat becomes uh, not not wanting to get out of a situation um, physically, but to uh, but to be able to uh, retreat to your mind, where you're not uh, you don't have to be able to form uh, or merge into somebody else's opinion, and you're able to kind of retreat back to your own headspace and um, be in your own. Uh, being and be with yourself and not having to um, expend the energy on other people. Um, so I think that that's what a lot of the time happens for me. Um, while I do enjoy my naps, I really do, <laughs> um, it's not all the time physical, uh, whereas a lot of the time it does begin to become more mental okay. and, uh, and stuff like that. that. Mm -hmm. I think our emotional energy get spent quicker mm. than our physical. I've got a lot of physical energy. I don't like to sit, mm -hmm. but emotionally, I can be drained yeah. so quickly. Okay.
how many good. times do we say, I'm over it? I'm over it. Done. Done. Okay. That's good. Um, I think um, it, there is a misconception that nines are a doormat for other people hmm. because of that merging and the self-forgetting. Um, but like Leslie said earlier, that we do, we are passionate about things. And if we are making the decision to do what you want instead of what we want, it's a conscious choice that mm -hmm. we are making, even if, even if it doesn't seem that way. Maybe at the end of the day, when I forgot that I wanted to go to the mountain in the first right. place, right. that part is not conscious. But the choice of doing what you want to do instead of what we want to do, that's a conscious choice mm -hmm. that we are making. Yeah. And whether that's we so do good. it or not, we know that we have that choice. That's so good. It's not doormat. It's a conscious choice to have merged, right? It's a, it's a, it's a move that you make, right? Because there have been times in, in our staff meeting when, when maybe everyone around the table has agreed about a thing that we're going to do, and it's all right, and I'll say something like, all right, I need some of you gut people to give me an opinion about this. And at, at times, you will be the, the sole voice to say, I don't feel it in my gut right here. And so you literally sometimes will be the only one, and it shifts the entire conversation because you are able, and, and when you do, when you show up, it's a beautiful thing. It's powerful. So it's not doormat as much as it is you've made a conscious choice, and that's it's kind of powerful too. So let me ask you this next question. What about, uh, so if it's true that there's a wounding message and a healing message, and if your wounding message is, it's not okay to assert myself, but the healing message is your presence matters, then let me ask you a question about your Christian journey. Right? So in your walk with Jesus, in your relationship with Jesus, how has your, how's your relationship with Christ enabled you to begin hearing the healing message of your presence matters? How has Christ shaped your ability to hear that? And what, are you, what are you doing about that so that you can hear it more? I'll take that one too. Um, I read somewhere, you know, you can read so much about the Enneagram, that a nine likes um, groups, uh, formed, preformed groups like church. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm blessed that that's my group. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like I've struggled tremendously through my life mm -hmm. In my spiritual journey, I have had some moments with God where, um, in my nineness, I couldn't admit to Him how angry I was, mm -hmm. and just said, "Okay, mm -hmm. whatever." Until finally, I had bubbled up the um, the. In the intensity had grown so much that instead of having a rational discussion and prayer and, and constant communication with God, I just lost it, lost it completely. And um, the Enneagram has come to me in a in very timely manner to, uh, I, I've started a new morning journey where I ask him every morning to help me 
uh, get accomplished in my personal life and, and in my work life or wherever, what needs to be done. Um, talk to the person who needs to be talked to. Make the phone call that needs to be made. It's now he and I um, working on this together instead of me avoiding him and just being a part of his, his group. Okay. Very good. Very good. Others? I'm trying to think of how to answer this. I think that um, in my spiritual life, in a few different ways, I've realized that my presence matters, that um, being honest with God about my anger or my sadness or disappointment, that um, God already knows it, so why am I trying to hide it and act and just go with the flow? when it is more uh, both spiritually and emotionally therapeutic for me to just be honest about it. So that's one place is just being fully and completely honest and vulnerable with God and myself before anything else. Um, And I also think I hesitated to answer this question because I'm afraid that I'm going to get emotional, which I am, (laughs) is um, in my calling as a pastor and church leader that for a long time I um, kind of pushed that calling away because I didn't know how important it was for me to follow it, number one. And number two, that I was very scared of my own voice and how other people would react to it. And so being able to show up um, in my calling and where God has placed me, whether it's in staff meeting or downstairs with the kids or on a youth trip or preaching or whatever it is that I'm doing, being able to bring my full self there as an ordained um, person of God, whether that's as a pastor or just as a Christian, um, has been very beneficial and freeing to me. So good. So good. Uh, and as, I'm, as you're talking, it, it occurs to me, and I'm going to just say this, it's not on our agreed talk about list, but the both of you were raised in a home in ministry too, right? So I'm curious, just sitting here, what being PKs has, uh, has to do with your awareness as your nine uh, personality. Anything you might add about that? I feel like um, <clears throat> I feel like you know tying tying this into your previous question about my spiritual walk with God. Um, I think that I don't know if it's the same for you, Annie, but um, a lot of the time you do feel in in the home of of you know when you have a family member who's who's a clergy mem- member and. Um, their beliefs and their teachings, you are, you know, automatically accustomed to, and you're automatically, uh, you automatically form as your own opinions because that's, you know, all that you've been taught your entire life, um, and you know, really nothing else other than that. I mean, obviously, you can go to other churches and other, you can hear other people, but you really know um, only one uh, message. But I think that. 
I think something that's comforting um, to know is that through God um, and through just our our relationship with Him, He can see right past our um, our our merge merging and our um, our agreeableness with people, and He can see right past that, and He can see right past our um, our merged opinions with our family members that might be in um, in ministry, um, and He knows our true faith, and He knows where we stand on topics and he knows where our um what our relationship is like with him um so i think that that's something that i've kept having to remind myself and something that's given me um some clarity and reassurance and peace and um it's just been something that's 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 been good to remind me of so good Yeah, I agree with all of that. And um, my dad, who is a pastor, is also a nine. And so there have been multiple times, especially especially in the past couple of years, where we'll be talking about something and I'll say, oh, everyone around us at whatever church we were at at the time uh, thought this way. So I just assumed that you thought the same way. Mm -hmm. Because as a nine he wouldn't necessarily be speaking out against that. Or if he did, it would be in a much more subtle, Mm -hmm. gentle, shepherding kind of way instead of just an outright challenging kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that has been interesting to me really since I was in college and first started studying and would call and ask him questions. And I'd say, I thought, you know, I was taught this in Sunday school. And he was like, well, yes, but it could also be this. And there are all these different options that you don't necessarily hear growing up mm-hmm. in the church in general, but yeah. especially when your dad's the one speaking from right. the platform. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, also, so in addition to that, the things that we learn that are part of our personality in the Enneagram are coping mechanisms that we picked up along the way because we needed them. So as a nine, my people-pleasing, merging nature came out because that is how I protected myself as a pastor's kid when everyone is watching you all the time. (laughs) Um, And that was good for a six-year-old Annie who needed protection from criticism or whatever, not that I was super criticized as a six-year-old, but Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, Um, that that's something that I needed at that point in my life. Um, And so it can be easy when conflict arises on a Sunday morning or any other time to slip back into that. And that's something that I actually have to talk about in therapy a lot of the time and that Mm -hmm. me and my therapist joke about is like, Mm -hmm. well, these were the wounds you've had, we, I've had my whole life, and then now they're just coming back. Not necessarily that I'm getting criticized all the time, but just any kind of conflict that arises. And so it's been important for me as an adult to start to recognize that and become aware of it, which is what is so good about the Enneagram. And like Leslie said earlier, understanding myself and where that comes from instead of passing judgment on it Hmm. to just see like okay this is what you're doing right now that might have been helpful when you were 10 but now you're 30 
So mm. what, how can you act like an adult in this That's situation good. instead of a That's so good. child? That's good. So good. I, you know, I'm so grateful for what you all are saying because it, overhearing that, listening to it, enables us to love more uh, deeply because we can understand where you're coming from more, more clearly. And the, the one thing I would hope that obviously the three of you and any nines who are, who are watching right now, one thing I would hope you, you would hear uh, in the healing message of Jesus that your presence matters is, man, this whole thing that we're doing, this whole faith journey is happening because God thought that you were a good idea <laughs> and that God thought that your presence mattered enough to actually become present with you. Uh, the whole incarnation, the whole taking on flesh and bone and revealing God's own self to us because God values your presence. And I hope that you will hear that um, wherever you may be today. Um, one last question, and we'll do like kind of a lightning round real quick. Name one thing that your people can do to love you better. One, one statement, one sentence. What can somebody in your life do to better love the nine in their life? Ask us more than once mm. our opinion. Um, I, I don't mind being um, reminded or hounded a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't mind that. That does not annoy me. Okay. Uh, I have a friend who I have to tell her, bug me about this. Mm -hmm. I'm allowing okay. you to bug me. Good. So I don't mind being bothered. I don't so mind being more asked than once. more than once. Okay. Because the Good. first time I'm probably not You may not be listening. You. Okay. Yeah. You're checking out. Okay. Good. Nathan. Yeah. To add to that, I think that... Um, I think people need to be able, I mean, especially for me, to be able to challenge you and to push you um, to form your opinion and to, um, to make yourself known and everything. Like, um, whenever somebody asks you a question or asks the nine a question, their immediate response is to go with whatever the group is thinking, whatever um, somebody else is thinking. But make sure when you're talking to somebody who has that tendency to maybe, you know, once, like, ask them again. Push it. What, are you sure this is what you want to do? Mm -hmm. Like, what is, what do you want to do? Ask them specifically, what do you want to do? Like, yeah. what is your opinion on the matter, you know? Okay. So. It's good, all right. Yeah, um, I agree with that. And another thing is um, nines often don't realize our need for acknowledgement, the need to be seen. Mm -hmm. um, and so just acknowledging whether it's a, hey, I'm glad you're here, or hey, I saw that you did this, and it's not, not as in a claim. I don't need to hear that I did a good job because mm -hmm. I know whether or not I did a good job. But I want to know that what I said was important to you or what I did mattered to you mm -hmm. or just some kind of acknowledgement that we're being seen and heard and that we are important in any given situation. So can I good. say, I can relate to that through music. Uh, a compliment about the voice. Yeah. You know, thank you. Mm -hmm. right. But a compliment about the message mm -hmm. is heard. Mm -hmm. And, and bringing felt. your whole self to the moment yeah. and acknowledging Definitely. that. Definitely. That's good. It's so good. Well, I want to thank all three of you for the courage of showing up 
of being present, you know, and helping us get a glimpse into your inner world. Um, and so now, as we have been doing each week, we end our time of study with um, a song that is uh, written and, and produced by uh, the group Sleeping at Last. And this one is written from the perspective of a nine, and it's called Nine. And Adam is going to sing it now. Who am I to say what any of this means? I have been sleepwalking since I was 14. Now as I
To love ourselves and others well is the most difficult and meaningful work we'll ever do. I pray that that is a discovery of truth for somebody watching today. And I pray it opens up a world of love for yourself, for others, for your God. And I pray between now and the time we get to see each other again that you are blessed and healthy and taking care of yourself and one another and between now and that time, may this be your parting blessing. May Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step forward at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days that dark clouds roll in to remind you there's one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Amen.